Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly food show. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Joining me this week is my co-hosts are Felice Sloan and Shanna Jones from Urban Swank. Felice, how are you? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Shanna, what's going on? All good, Eric. Thank you for joining me. So glad you're here. Let's just dive right into our first segment, the news of the week. Uh, a lot of barbecue news has popped up in the last couple of weeks. None more exciting than the news that Truth Barbecue, the Brenham restaurant that Texas Monthly ranks as the 10th best barbecue joint in Texas will open a location in Houston sometime later this year. Felice, I know you're a Truth Whoa, Barbecue truth, super truth, fan. Truth. Um, AKA Addict. What, 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 what? <laughs> um, tell people, because I know, I know you eat a lot of barbecue. I eat a lot of barbecue. What makes Truth special? Why, why should people be excited about this? You know, I think the thing that makes them special beyond the whole family atmosphere, the barbecue is damn good. It's consistent. It's every time I go, I know it's going to be at least as good as or better than the last time. It never goes down. Every single thing, the sides, the desserts, everything is good. Yeah, and I think a lot of that stems from the pitmaster, Leonard Botello, Mm -hmm. young guy, 29, still making his mark on the world. He's there every day, and I guess that makes sense. They're only open three days a week, Yeah, so he damn well better be. (laughs) But you know, make their own sausage. Obviously, the seasoning is always on point. The, the smoking is very precise. The meat is always super well rendered. Sides are really good. I mean, his cream corn is excellent. Right. I, um, love, it. I, lo- I love the sides. What about those cakes you love? Yeah. Mama Truth. Mama Truth. Those <laughs> cakes. I'm, I'm just telling you, they're all about four layers. You can't eat a whole slice. They were recently here for the Texas Monthly Meetup. And I was excited about the barbecue. And I'm like, okay, and where are the cakes? And Leonard looks at his mom, I told you we should have brought cakes. I yeah. told you. It's just, I mean, it really is good. I mean, they're a restaurant family though, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So it's it, it makes sense to me as well. And and if you had any questions about, oh, this will be like a little fledgling Brenham restaurant. No, no. No, Johnny Caraba is an investor in this project and will be helping bring truth to Houston. I mean, talk about one of the most celebrated restaurateurs in Houston. Talk about one of the biggest names yep. in Houston food. You know, whenever someone like that gets behind a project, you know that it's serious. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And he he's he's going to really help them. I mean, they are a family business as well. So maybe he can help them, you know, take it to the next level in Houston. I mean, they're supposedly coming back home. Right. Because they had, you know, their family, their earlier family restaurants were were here. Um, I believe. So maybe he'll take it to new heights or help him take it to new heights. Yeah. I mean, it will be interesting to see what it's like when they have to be open five or six days a week. I mean, I don't expect them to be open for dinner, at least not right away. And the word on the street for the location, they've, they've described it as a prime location inside the loop. Haven't released the information yet, but the word is Washington Avenue. How do you feel about that? I will. Well, let's see. It makes sense that they would be in that area. Um, I just hope they get somewhere with some good damn parking if they're going over there. Fifty-five parking 55 spots. Fifty-five spaces. The press yeah. Right. Well, that's a lot. That I mean, is for a inside lot. the loop, that's a lot. That's a lot. However, if it's any indication of what they do 
at the Brenham location. I'm just saying, like, that's still not going to be enough. But 55, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm excited because it's easy to get to. I would have liked to see them go a little bit further out, maybe, just because there's nothing, right? There's really nothing in yeah, between. Yeah, I mean, there is really nothing. If we're being honest <laughs> about barbecue in Houston, there is nothing really good west of Regal's, and that is on Voss. Right. So you have Spring Branch, Town & Country, Katie energy corridor, all that with nothing. Now, Wayne Mueller has said he's looking in that area to bring Louis Mueller to Houston, but he's also been saying that for like two or three years. Right. Yeah, well, if whoever gets in that location, I think that's going to be prime real estate, exactly where you name, because there's nothing there. So you got all these people coming from Katy and beyond and um, all these other areas that want to get good barbecue, but they're not like crazy barbecue people like we are and we'll drive and go. So I think that's going to be a hit if someone gets, that's where I wanted to see them go for selfish reasons, but I will drive. You will drive. Well, we've Shanna been driving drive. to Brenham. Exactly. So driving a, yeah. Right. It's right. So, so that's a no brainer. And yeah. maybe being on the Washington Ave will reignite that area. I mean, that's seen a ton of restaurant closures and loss. Maybe they will reunite people coming to the area for food again. Yeah, I mean, that area is really on an upswing. I mean, obviously, B&B Butchers has been huge for the last two years. Taco Deli just opened there. A very interesting Japanese restaurant called Kukuri should open there sometime in the next month or two. But, you know, you start headed west. I mean, you know, back towards where Kopi used to be. Yep. You know, it's quiet. Very uh, quiet. You know, very it, quiet. The, clubs are, the clubs are kicking, right? Um, Clutch is on fire. Kung Fu has had a resurgence, but restaurant options are a little bit thin. You know, if truth shows up in that part of the world, you know, more power to him. I mean, obviously, you know, I will say FM Kitchen has been a nice addition to that area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that patio. Ooh. Yeah. And those burgers. Ooh. Okay. We're talking barbecue. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, the other the other big news is that uh, Blood Brothers Barbecue, which is a, a pop up owned by uh, Robin and Terry Wong, the owners of Glitter Karaoke in Midtown, and their good friend, Kui Wong, uh, is their, who's their pit master, is going to go from monthly pop-up to full-time brick and mortar. And they've signed a lease in the same shopping center as Bernie's Burger Bus in Bel Air. Mm-hmm. A-Leaf Boys, what, what? what? <laughs> A-Leaf Boys made good. That's right. You know, I think what's interesting is they do some of the traditional Central Texas-style stuff, but they also do some stuff that speaks to their roots, uh, some of the influences from Aleph. They're not afraid to throw, you know, a Vietnamese twist on things or a Chinese twist on things. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you kind of slot Blood Brothers in the Houston barbecue scene? I think they fit right in. I think they've always fit right in. I think if you look at their introduction to the Houston Barbecue Festival, it's like they were always there. To me, they bring a little bit of swank to the game. But to me, they fit because I think even... Their, you know, their beef ribs, their basic barbecue or traditional barbecue for back of a letter word, lack of a better word, it fits right in. It's good. Regardless of what they're doing on the creative side, their barbecue is legit. And I think what it with the creative, that's what makes them stand above the rest. That gives them their niche, right? As you were saying, they do the traditional, but then they also can do the other. And everybody can't do that. Yeah, we see some the traditional guys try to mix it up and do uh uh-uh. uh. I'm like, stick with what you know. They can um, 
add their heritage in there and some of their background and make it real creative and just kind of mix things up and give some of these um, new barbecue folks and new food people Mm -hmm. a little different perspective. Yeah. And I, I like that they have a little bit of a sense of humor. Obviously their, their social media feed is, is very good. And you know, they have a massive platter with a beef rib and a bunch of brisket and ribs and sausage on it. And they named it after Vince Wilfork, uh, (laughs) who until very recently was a Houston Texan. So, you know, I like that. I, you know, I like that they've got a little bit of a sense of humor. Barbecue can be very serious. And and certainly if you listen to the episode of this show with uh, Nicole and Will Buckman from Corkscrew, they take their work seriously and I'm glad that they do because they produce excellent food, but it's also nice when you can kind of pull back just a little bit and, and have a little fun with your yeah. work too. Yeah. And they have I a agree. ton of, they have a ton of fun. I mean, every time we walk up to their booth, no matter where they are, what pop up, what festival, it's like, Hey, what's up? Get some of this. You know, they're just a fun for guys that they don't lack passion at all. They're fun. They're passionate and they're creative. And, and we talk about an area that's underserved. I mean, Bel Air has some traditional old school kind of barbecue restaurants, but not, a, not from this new wave. And I think it's like when Bernie's Burger Bus opened and it's like, well, you're across from Bel Air Boiler Burger. How are you going to compete with that? And it's like, you're just fine. And I think Blood Brothers is going to be just fine there too by bringing something a little different, maybe something the neighborhood isn't quite used to. Yep, I agree. All right. And then finally, our third piece of barbecue-related news, Ray's Real Pit Barbecue Shack is getting out of the gas station. They're going to roll down the street a little bit down uh, OST, a little bit closer to 610. 3,500 square feet. They're going to switch back to all wood smokers, which yep, is, which that's is good. Awesome. Yep. They're going to have more room for both their kitchen and their seating. Uh, Felice, I saw on social media, you were there this weekend. I was there. I was getting all the scoop. I was getting the scoop. So well, share the scoop with the people. <laughs> so everything you said, they're super excited. I actually rolled by the, where the new location is going to be. So it's huge. It'll seat probably about 75 people. So if you've gone to the gas station, you know that's like... That has about 20 seats. (laughs) Right. So definitely going to be a little bit larger. They'll have that um, a smoke room because they'll have enough room for that, right? They're getting the pits built out right now. So that's exciting. And I was kind of asking what new things that they were going to do, right? Because the kitchen is much bigger and they're just going to keep getting creative and being able to offer more things, keep doing the good barbecue. They're super excited. They're also going to continue to have that gas station. So the gas station is theirs. So I kind of was, you know, they didn't ask me, but I'm like, maybe y'all can do like breakfast out of here and you know, do breakfast tacos. And so we'll see, but they're super excited. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about, you know, sometimes it seems like the African-American roots in Texas barbecue can get overlooked. You right. know, we have all these young white pitmasters. masters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Leonard Botello. Say and, that, say that. Say it ain't so. And, and race is kind of holding it down. I mean, you know, maintaining the third wards tradition as, a neighborhood that that has contributed a lot to Houston's barbecue history, maybe not so much its present, but they're they're kind of honoring that tradition. They're kind of doing their own thing, and and I know I saw someone on Twitter say, "Well, it's not really Third Ward; it's South Union." Uh, I don't know that that's a distinction that's very meaningful to most people, but you know, close to the medical center, close to the University of Houston, again, a neighborhood that doesn't have a ton of barbecue options. I'm excited for the the folks at Ray's for sure. Yeah, very exciting and. Um I just think kind of what you said, they they represent 
the African American community, they're whole they're not trying to be something more than they are. Mm-hmm. That's and that's one of the things when you go in there. I was in there on Saturday and you know, Ray, they come out, they know the people, right? Like there's people that go for a couple of meals. There's a gentleman, he was eating he had some of the chicken tenders. And I'm like, well, you don't want any barbecue? He said, yeah, I had barbecue three days this week. So I mixed it up on the weekends. Right? So, you know, you got to love it because they they just off, they offer so much on the menu beyond the barbecue. But they keep the barbecue is true. They stay true to their roots. And they're just turning out a good product all the time. More on that. Uh, hopefully, by, uh, hopefully by Labor Day that's opened yeah, up. So that's, yeah. that's the goal. All right. Um, other news, other new restaurants, other new bars coming. Uh, maybe none more exciting than the Rustic, uh, a Dallas-based bar and concert venue. This is a, a joint venture between Free Range Concepts. They have the General Public and Bowl and Barrel in City Center. Uh, the Rustic is their partnership with Pat Green, Texas country music superstar, coming to right near the George R. Brown Convention Center, right in the heart of downtown. Um, the Dallas location is one of the highest grossing bars by liquor sales in the state of Texas. So it comes with that kind of pedigree. Edo's blowing up, right? Chapman and Kirby just opened. Seaside Poke just opened. Truckyard and Rodeo Goat are coming. And then Agricole Hospitality is coming. We'll talk about that in a, in a minute. What do, you, what do you think about this news about the Rustic? I mean, there's a lot of concert venues downtown. How do you kind of see it fitting in? I think it's going to be perfect. For a long time, downtown was very young. And now that we have all the all the main street bars, it's kind of upping kind of the age with, you know, nightingales and et cetera. I think it's going to fit. And matter of fact, when it was coming, I was thinking we love Revolver Social. And in my mind, I thought about, wow, an outside venue with live band and music, outside bar. They even gonna ha- they're even going to have a VIP area, which I think is kind of cool. We'll figure out what that's going to be. But I think it's a great addition. I think that we need that. We have some touches on it, like the outside area at Batanga. We have a little bit of that. But when you think about a live outdoor concert venue in Houston and downtown, we need it. We really need it. Well, we're going to get it. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this shakes out. and And then kind of, you know, how does the bands, the Rustic Books, differentiate themselves from what's going on at House of Blues or Warehouse Live or Revention? You know, certainly there's plenty of music for everyone. There's always bands looking for places to play. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how these venues sort of define themselves. And, I mean, you know, it gets really hot here in the summer. I'm not telling people anything they don't know. So, but, you know, on those spring nights when there's a little bit of a chill in the air, that's going to be a scene. Well, you know, oh, they're totally supposed to have they're supposed to have a what retracting roof, so maybe that will Yeah, maybe that'll help. That'll help with, you know, the heat in summer. So I think they've thought about everything with that. And of but course, even you know, to being think about this. It doesn't matter people that live here and from Houston, we will tackle the heat for a great patio. You know oh, that's that. That's true. We will tackle the heat and act like we don't even feel it, have a cocktail and a beer and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, just look at the crowds at places like Axelrad or Eight Row Flint or Heights Beer Garden that just opened up. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we love when the weather's nice and we'll deal with it when the weather's nice. We will deal with it, yeah. All right. Uh, So speaking of that area, Agricole Hospitality, they own Cultivare Revival Market and Eight Row Flint, have announced that their next project is they're leaving the Heights, they're coming to Edo, 
giant space, like 11, 12,000 square feet. They're going to have a restaurant called Indian Nola, a bar called Miss Carousel, and a buy the slice pizza shop called Vinny's. An ambitious project. Uh, we're going to have Morgan Weber, one of the partners in Agricole, on next week to talk about their plans and, and how they decided to come to Edo. But when you heard the news, what was your initial reaction? Are you excited about this? Or are you a little bit scared that like maybe they've bitten off more than they can chew? I think the first thing that I asked myself was why. I'm, I don't know what the, the pull or the push is to open three at one time, but we haven't seen a lot of that. We've seen some success, some success in, in opening, you know, two. But I would just ask, I don't understand why. I mean, maybe you can find out more next week, but what's the push? I was excited. I'm sorry. I got super excited because I think for me, I think what they've done different than other people is they've established themselves with each concept that they've done and they've been, okay, we got this. Okay, we've got this. They've kind of done with each one of these different projects. So I think that they can tackle three and I'm excited that they're doing them all at the same time, like the rollout. So I'm kind of, ex- that was my, initial. Oh, I'm definitely I was I'm, excited. I'm definitely happy. I mean, everything that they do, I mean, cultivar is one of, is our top three restaurants hands down always has been. So it's not that I'm not excited about it. I just don't want it to be overly ambitious where they fail. Now, what I did read was that I believe the bar and the Indianola are kind of together. Yeah, they're connected. So they're maybe connected that'll kind of, that's not necessarily three different separate restaurants that may help a little bit. So I'm excited like Felice is excited. I just hope that, you know, they stay true to why we love their restaurant group. Yeah, the one thing about Indianola that intrigues me is that they've described the menu as, I want to get this right, dishes from the American canon that one could comfortably partake of every day. Now, if you if you asked me to put that in a genre, right, I would say diner. Does that does that sound dinerish to you? Are are I mean, are we gonna be they've been very tight lipped about the details, but are we gonna get like Ryan Paris chicken fried steak? I would be welcoming to that. Um, I Yeah, I think it sounds diner, kind of home-cooked, very approachable. That's Right, black-eyed pea. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what it sounds like, but, you know, I don't know. I don't either. Maybe you can dig when they're here. Make dig sure I know you details. will dig, dig, dig. <laughs> uh, and then I, I, I don't want to linger on this too long. I, I do want to move on to the restaurants of the week, but... Underbelly has announced some pretty sweeping changes to their menu. Um, they've cut back on beef. I mean, they're still they're still going to have it, but they're not going to break down whole cows anymore. Uh, they're they're adding more seafood and pulling from farther away the entire Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic from Virginia south. And they're adding cocktails uh, sometime later in July. They don't they don't the liquor license hasn't been finalized yet, but that's coming, which means the end of BYOB and the end of to go wine sales. Let me just ask you, because I know it's been a couple of years since I've been to Underbelly. This makes me want to go back there. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, are you are you with me on this? Are yes. you in for a new meal at Underbelly? I, I, exactly what you said. That will make me want to go to Underbelly, like put them in the rotation. The, not only the cocktails, which I'm super excited about, but them changing the menu, adding something a little bit lighter, more seafood. So, yeah, I'm definitely with you. 
And people love a theme. I mean, you know, they're on for this whole, you know, restaurant changing down from not only the food, but the decor. We're, we're, we're all over it. We, we're excited about seeing what's next for them and what this, this changing restaurant theme concept is all about. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously Gary Lee, the chef de cuisine there, you know, the menu is headed in a more Vietnamese direction. Chris has said one of the things he wants is, is to broaden that a little bit, incorporate, you know, assign cooks to focus on a different country every month, kind of dive in. And it would be nice. I mean, you know, the Houston Press had an article last week that talked about, you know, the food's really good, but it's very Vietnamese right now. It would be nice to see maybe some more Korean, maybe some more Indian, maybe some more Mexican even influence just to kind of round out that whole tell the story of Houston food, which right. is how Underbelly identifies. Yeah, right. Make it diverse. The, the menu, diversity in the menu, huh? Yeah. yeah. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Let's talk about our restaurants of the week, starting with Roka Accor. This is a, a Japanese steakhouse with a major sushi component. It comes from Arizona. There are locations in Chicago and San Francisco as well. I know you dined there last week. I dined there separately with my good friend Nathan Ketchum, who sometimes co-hosts this show. We had a pretty good meal. And so I'm just wondering, what were your impressions of your Roca Accor experience? I had a great meal overall. I was thoroughly impressed by the sushi. Um, I had both nigiri and sashimi, both great, fresh, flown in daily, hands down some of the best that I've had in Houston. Yeah, and the general manager was a longtime part of the Azuma Group. He worked at Katarabata for years. You know, this is someone who definitely knows quality sourcing and certainly, you know, their track record in other cities suggests that they're going to bring in great quality product. Agreed. So we had a very good experience uh, with Aura King Salmon, with... Uh, oh, that salmon was... Fin- oh, that sam- that yellowtail. Yeah, the, uh, the yellowtail appetizer. It'd slap your mama good. Hokkaido uni, you know, and a whole... And, and I think what's interesting is they... They have sashimi, they have nigiri, and you can get that sashimi on a platter. Mm-hmm. You can also get, like a steakhouse, you know, traditional raw seafood with kind of a Japanese twist. So sliced, thinly sliced scallops, you know, cold boiled shrimp, gigantic, very sweet, very succulent pieces of king crab. I mean, you're going to pay for it. Yes. It's not cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap. But we, you know, that aspect was interesting. Okay, Eric, so let me ask you, did you have any of the Wagyu? I had the sirloin, and I'll tell you that I was slightly disappointed in the texture of it. It came across very chewy. I do want to go back because, you know, we're firm believers in not just going somewhere one time and and holding an opinion to that. I definitely want to go back and try maybe a different cut. But I was a little disappointed in in the steak. Yeah, I mean, they have the Snake River Farms sirloin, which is domestic Wagyu, and then they also have... Japanese beef, we had we had a piece from, they have four different choices. We didn't have co, traditional Kobe. We had it from one from Wagyu from one of the other prefectures I, that I thought was a really beautiful cut of steak. Now, for $35 an ounce, it damn well better be. Right. You know, with a minimum yeah. three ounce order. Exactly. Um, but they serve it to you on this like bamboo mat with a little bit of smoke. It's got a great presentation. It was, it was, Medium rare, like exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, melt in your mouth, yes, which is 
what you expect from Japanese beef. Um, but this cut had slightly more texture, a little more chew, which I liked. Uh, but you know, at those prices, it's, it's a splurge. I think people know it's a splurge, but no, I mean the, my, the only dish that really missed for me was we had lamb chops that frankly were just overcooked. Um, and, and that kind of lost its, you know, the lamb flavor was very muted. It was in this like Korean barbecue glaze that, that could have been good, but just didn't land for us. The, the big surprise of the menu for me was the uh, beef and kimchi dumplings that get like a hard sear on the plancha right before they're served. Thin wrappers, super crispy on the outside, very satisfying beef filling with just a little bit of that kimchi kick. Mm. Those are some of the best dumplings I've had in a really long time. And they're 10 bucks. So, you know, they, they've definitely, you know, they're, they're kind of between River Oaks and River Oaks District, mm-hmm. which are not the same thing and are not the same place. Um, but obviously the goal is to pull people back east a little bit out of Stake 48, out of Lake Colonial for a concept that should really appeal to them. And, and the bar was full. Basically, you know, we got there at 6 o'clock. We got there early. By the time we left at 8.30 or 9, bar was totally full. Dining room was full. People are checking it out. Yeah. Feels like a new hotspot. And based on the food, it's, it's one of those where it's like, you know, is it... Is it as good at sushi at Katarabata? MF Sushi? Saying, and I, the table next to me was like, oh, we like this way better than MF Sushi. I don't know that I'm there because the omakase at MF is really hard to beat, but it's very good. It, it is, it's very good. It is definitely worth a visit. Even if you just go for the sushi and, you know, have a sake or have, you know, uh, you know Japanese whiskey neat, it is definitely a destination to try at least once. Yeah, a, a really good selection of Japanese whiskeys, you know, all the Hibikis, Yamazaki, IY, Mars. I mean, I, you know, I was kind of peeping the bar as I was walking in. It, it's, a, it's a solid range of options. Um, certainly any that, I mean, very few restaurants that really specialize in it. But, you know, this is an upscale concept that holds its own with, in terms of whiskey selection, uh, Kasushi and Ninja Ramen, which are, are really known for that. Yep, couldn't agree more. All right, and then I may be on my own for this last one. 85C Bakery and Cafe has opened in Chinatown. I don't suppose y'all had a chance to swing through the soft We're going Saturday. Well, we swung, I swung by there on the, the way the other day. Oh, you did go in. I didn't go in. Oh, I, okay. I saw it because it's right. You know, it's, I was telling you about the location. Prime location. We're not going until Saturday. So we'll have to live vicariously through you, and you can tell us what we need to get. So I will say this is a Taiwanese restaurant that has become a global phenomenon. It's been making its way east. It started in America and California. It's working its way east. Uh, the Houston location is their 1,000th store globally, which is crazy to me. It's crazy. Um, known for like doing European-style breads, brioche, French bread, all that stuff, but also bread, savory breads with an Asian twist. I had the marble taro. It's like a sweet bread with a, with a shot of like sweet taro in the middle uh we got a uh, a black like dark black uh squid ink roll that had some swiss cheese in it they're known for their cheese dog a, a savory kind of kolache style and then i got a slice of black forest cake because i never say no to black forest cake um all very good uh line up the door we stood in, stood in the heat for about 15 minutes which was just about as long as my friend was willing to put up with me uh and then an extensive selection of teas coffees, smoothies, frozen drinks, 
you know, this is this place is a global phenomenon. It has come to Houston, and judging by even with a minimal amount of press that kind of preceded the opening, uh, it has already captured people's attention. And I think it's going to be one of those places where you're going to start to see a lot of this in your social media feeds as more and more adventurous eaters head to Chinatown to check it out. And it's very Instagrammable. So you'll probably see a bunch of that on Instagram it, as it well. It is very Instagrammable. <laughs> and it is very, very affordable. I was looking back at my receipt. Uh, the most expensive thing I got was a large tea that was $3.50. Six macaroons were seven and a half bucks. Uh, a fluffy load of brioche was like $2.25. So oh, I, I got everything that I possibly could have wanted for 30 bucks. Oh, like I awesome. left with a huge bag of stuff for 30 bucks. So Eric, how, how big is it? They're saying it's almost 6,000 square feet. Yeah, yeah it is like large. Corner. It occupies a corner of a yeah. building at a, at a prime location on Bel Air, uh, right between Clarewood and uh, Beltway 8. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's an expansive space. It's got a little bit of outside seating. It's got a lot of inside seating and plenty of room to accommodate the kitchen you know and part of it is that the the bakery operation is kind of adjacent i mean it's it's just you can't there's like blacked out windows next to the the public area so i think some of that 5800 square feet is hidden but it's very clear that they have the capacity to keep this thing rolling for a while and one of the things they really pride themselves on is that they bring out fresh product every hour so you don't have to worry about going there at four or five o'clock in the afternoon I mean, they're open until midnight on Friday and Saturday. Which, so, that's when Chinatown's. That's when Chinatown going, really so, is going. So. Right, yeah. And it's right across for people that um, aren't familiar. It's literally the, the center across the street from where Fufu Cafe and Fufu Restaurant and Tiger Dinner. Right, right. Right across from Dunhuang Plaza. Yeah. Um, right near where Chengdu Taste opened, right near where H Mart is. You know, that, you know, right near where Okome Dawn, the new uh, Poke Spot, just opened up. Yeah. So, yeah, that part of Chinatown is blowing up. Another huge opening and the kind of place that I think people are going to be talking about for a long time. Yep. All right. That does it for News of the Week. Shanna, Felice, thank you so much for joining me. We can follow you on all platforms, your blog, which is updated two or three times a week, urbanswank.com. Mm-hmm. Correct. Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. I don't want to forget Pinterest. Never forget Pinterest. Urban <laughs> Swank. Thank you, Eric. It was fun. Thanks for having yeah, us always. back. Thank you. All right. I'll be right back with restaurant designer Jen Braverman. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East Downtown open eight days a week, as they like to say. It's a great place to go. Uh, if you're going to Astros game or a Dynamo game. Great place to go before the game, have a couple of beers, maybe a bite to eat from the Eatsy Boys food truck that's always parked on site. You know, beat the uh, beat the stadium prices for both beer and food while having a great local product. You know, certainly I have drank more than my fair share of Dome Foam, their cream ale, and Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter. But the fun thing about going to the brewery is that there's always something new to try. Whether it's Haterade, their Goza, whether it's Weissheimer, the Hefeweizen, or the IPA, their double IPA that comes in today. Relatively hefty, 8.8% ABV. So thank you to Eighth Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. 
my guest this week is restaurant designer Jen Braverman. And I, I'm going to rattle these off, and I, I'm sure I'm going to miss a couple. But I, I first encountered you when you did the design for Oxheart. You have done public services, Camerata, uh, The Commoner and Boulevardier, Jimmy Choo Asian Kitchen, Axelrad. What am I missing? A few. Um, Beckrue Winehouse. Beckrue. Uh, we've done a Ruggles Green. We're doing some good company. Gosh, I struggle to remember everything myself. Um, well, and Eunice, which is which is one of the things I want to talk to you about, but John Besh's new restaurant that's coming to Houston. But we'll get to that at the end. Let me just kind of start at the beginning. How did you become a designer? What What sort of made that seem like the right career for you? I didn't have a choice. I fought it. I was going to be pre-med. I was going to cure cancer and all these things. And um, I, since I was a small child, couldn't stop rearranging furniture. And my mom would come in my room and just be like, what are you doing? I'd be shoving my bed and my dresser around trying to get the best feng shui in my bedroom. And uh, that just kind of stuck with me as I got older. And after a few stints in hospitals, I decided it just wasn't for me, and I pursued some more creative endeavors from that point. So, did you did you go to college for design, or, or how did you how did you learn to sort of translate your design instincts into principles in a career? I actually took the the long hard path to it. I didn't get a degree in it, but I apprenticed for a few years with an amazing company in Houston. Um, they're not, I don't know if they're still around right now, but they, um, installations antiques. I learned how to patina metals and do woodworking and wire lighting. And plus the designers were amazingly creative. So I learned a lot from them and, uh, working in the workshops, learned a lot about materials and kind of a backside of things, the more rough stuff. And then I did, a crash course in interior design with um, an HGTV show that was their first extreme home remodel show. And we remodeled these homes in 10 days or less, no joke. And it was every single thing you could ever touch as an interior designer and multiple uh, iterations of this. And by the end of it, I said, oh, well, I can absolutely do this now. So I came back to Houston and started up my little one-man show. Yeah, not a one-man show anymore, though, right? I mean, you have... We're up to seven employees, and they're all lovely. Um, yeah, we uh, recently moved from Gin Designs to Gin Design Group, so we are uh, encompassing a lot of disciplines at this point. We're doing pop-ups and art installations and graphic design and branding, so a lot of things that tie together with what goes into a restaurant. So when did you... What was your first restaurant project? My first project was Magasan in New Orleans. Um, it was uh, one of the first Vietnamese restaurants there, and kind of a kind of a little bit of a big deal at the time. It was in New Orleans was still on that uptick after um, Katrina, and people were really putting money back into the restaurant scene there. So we did that restaurant, and it's funny because we're coming full circle. We're trying to get back into the New Orleans scene again, kind of with the the Besh the Besh Group uh, incentive. Yeah, I mean, you were just in New Orleans. You just did uh, a party, right? I, I saw a video. Yeah, we did a pop-up uh, lounge at the New Orleans Wine and Food Experience. We designed a mini 
mini concept for people to come and relax during this kind of glorious mayhem of Nalfi where uh, you're just running around like crazy eating and drinking. And they came and chilled in the swings and in our little greenhouse. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't I don't really feel like I have the language for design. I, I can sort of walk into a restaurant and go, this looks nice or this doesn't feel comfortable. But what do you when you when you start a project like like what are kind of the principles that that govern them? Like what are what are people when people hire you, what are they looking to achieve? We get a lot of requests for kind of an authentic feeling space. Um, you know, people trends are what they are and people like what they see on Pinterest and like what they see in New York and L.A., but they always want it to be authentic to their concept and their space. And we really, we really try to push that as well. You know, if someone will give us a Pinterest board, we'll say, okay, that's great. We're putting it away now and we're going to design something. So Pinterest is like a wonderful and awful tool in our industry. <laughs> so you're saying uh, restaurant design is not like a haircut. I can't just like show you a picture of a celebrity and be like, match that. You can, but we've told people, like, if you want that, don't hire us. Just give it to a contractor, and he can do that for you. If you're hiring us, you want something unique and special for your concept. And that's kind of why we got into the the branding element as well, because you can really tie it all together in a way that connects with the user, and they like the little details that they've noticed and the way it all works. So don't get me wrong. We still work with wonderful branding and graphic design companies as well. Um, but we will help out if they need that element. And then, I mean, obviously you still work with individual homeowners too, right? For home design. Oh yeah. We love doing residential. We do a lot of new builds and, um, we're particularly good at or drawn to modern design. So we still operate in that. So what, what's sort of the difference between, a public space like a restaurant and a private space like a home, how do you approach them? Well, there are, uh, I shouldn't say there's less room for creativity in residential, but fewer clients want a strong concept for their home the way you would for a restaurant. I mean, there's always, you know, a wow moment or something unique that you can do, but a kitchen pretty much has to function as a kitchen and a bathroom and a bedroom. They're all, you know, they all kind of observe certain rules of, of domestication that you have to follow. So, um, you know, that's a, it's, it's a nice thing to have a, a formula, but something you can build off of. And then what are, when you, when you start working with a, a bar or restaurant client, like what do you, how do you sort of blend your, like their desire for a certain aesthetic with kind of your creative impulses? Well, that's different each time. We, um, we, we present a mood board and try to sync up right from the beginning. And then if uh, that resonates, we move right on into concepting and try and insert what we feel is something cool and different, but also something that's going to resonate with them based on reference photos or whatever. Um, a lot of times that's a really straightforward way of getting from A to Z. Some clients have other ideas and we will work and work and listen and revisit until we get it right because we want them to have what they want at the end of the day. So it just varies. It's a spectrum of, of 
clients. Well, and, and obviously, I mean, the space dictates it too, right? I mean, you know, Axelrad is outdoors and has hammocks and a giant tree in the middle. Public services is a historic building with its own. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to like nightclub it up in a, <laughs> in a, you know, you, it wants to feel sort of historic and comfortable. Yeah. Um, and then Camerata was, as far as I could tell, was basically an empty, like an empty box when you got your hands on it. Yeah, it was a little storefront space. Um, yeah, you're right in that, you know, the space really dictates a great deal of the design as well. Um, you have to be authentic to the space. And in a city like Houston, where a lot of storefronts pop up, there's only so much you can do to remain true to a storefront. So you have to kind of create a story for it, whether it's the area it's in um, or the clientele that is coming or just the the concept behind the food. So. And then I, I know you talked about how Pinterest is is sort of influencing influencing clients' design ideas. How much is is Instagram and and needing like a place in the restaurant that people will want to take a picture of themselves? Like, does that influence your thinking at all? Is that part of it? You know, it's funny. It's more of a bar than a restaurant thing where people want that Insta moment or whatever you call it. But we've it's funny we've thought about it before. For example, at Commoner and Boulevardier, we thought, oh, this neon Houston sign, neon Houston cityscape sign, that people will definitely take photos in front of that. We didn't design it for that purpose, but we really thought that would happen. But it turns out this light wall was the thing that people ended up taking all their photos in front of, and that became this kind of crazy Instagram thing for a little while. Um, so, Which is weird because they're backlit and the pictures never look Never looked that good. Right. It's all about striking this pose and just getting your your shadow against this backlit element. And uh, it's it's pretty funny. Um, Make Studio helped us with that wall, and they're pretty awesome. But we none of us really expected that to happen. So you never know. Uh, and now you said you're working with Good Company um, on the on the on the Woodlands restaurants or on the. Uh... Yes, we're doing we're doing a few projects with them. Um, Within the next month, the Woodlands Project is opening, which is barbecue and their new kitchen cantina concept, which is authentic Tex-Mex with Mexican undertones. And it's... Yeah, kind of a reconcepting of the Good Company Taqueria on Kirby, kind of that pays kind of homage to the family's roots in in South Texas and Northern Mexico. Um, A restaurant that I'm personally very excited about, but... That makes two of us. (laughs) um, but, But you're working with, an iconic brand that has a, a pretty clearly defined kind of Texas country look to all their restaurants. How much room is there for, I mean, cause you're not going to put like, you know, anim- I, I mean, are you going to put like animal heads and license plates on the walls? I mean, how do you sort of balance what I think of as kind of a gin designs, like very clean, very modern aesthetic with the requirements that it needs to look and feel like good company stuff? Well, that was one of the projects that I was referencing earlier in which we started off with a concept and it was a little off from where we ended up. But again, we worked with the clients and spent a lot of time to get where they wanted. And, you know, if we had to adjust our aesthetic to do so, we did because good company knows where they want to be and who they are and 
I'm really happy with how it turned out, actually. I think it's going to be really... All right. I don't, I don't want to throw Levi Good under the bus, but is there is there one thing that he said no to that you were like, darn, I really wanted to do that? Honestly, no, because anything he said no to, he came back with a, a backup, and that worked with the overall concept so well that we just kind of kept on plowing through. So it really... Uh, it really all, I think, came to fruition in the vision that he was hoping for, and it, it ties together nicely. Um, do you do you aspire to work with kind of more? Uh, I don't want to use that. I don't want to keep using that word, but but well known Houston restaurant groups. I mean, do you, you know, do you want like a Pappas Commission or like Johnny Caraba to pick up the phone and call you, or, or do you like kind of working with these little guys that are on their way up? Ooh, that's tricky. I can't. I can't answer that wrong. Um, no, we. We're happy to work with everybody. We've really enjoyed, you know, helping the good company with their proliferation. Um, but we're definitely into the little guys too. The the first the first concept because you can really set the stage for something new and fresh and maybe somebody hasn't done it before and you can give them all the advice that uh you've gotten over the years. So we we like to help we like to help people learn about the process and have fun while they're doing it. And uh, it's just one of those things that when you first get started in this industry, there's so much to learn, but all the answers are right there. So is there like, are there like one or two mistakes that you, you see restaurants make over and over again that you're just like, Ooh, I wish you guys had hired somebody, just anybody that would have helped you like steer clear of that. Yeah, yeah, there are a couple things that happen, and I'm sure everybody who's made these mistakes instantly says, oh, I know, I, I, I messed that up. Um, color temperature is a big one, mismatching all your, your color temperatures in your lights. Um, mismatching of styles is always rough when you have some really modern element and then some really rustic element, but it's not purposeful. Um, colors that don't feel comfortable or appetizing um, you know, the list kind of goes on, but really it's, it's, I think more than individual elements, it's just having someone looking over the entire finished product and making sure that when you walk in, you're not thinking about the design too much. You just feel good and, and it feels authentic and comfortable. Yeah. I mean, lighting for me is the big one, right? Where it's, if it's, if it's too bright, it just doesn't feel welcoming. And if it's too dim and you got to pull out your iPhone to read the menu, like, that that seems like maybe too far in the other direction. Oh yeah, we're big fans of control systems for lighting so you can kind of set it and not stress about it anymore, get it to the exact right brightness and not deal with someone knocking a light switch in the middle of dinner. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like that moment like somewhere in the middle of dinner service when the lights get turned down, it's like, ooh. Yeah. It's getting it's getting <laughs> sexy in here. It's it's, you know, now now it's the time for for serious eating and grown-ups. Yeah, the full experience of dining out should feel so natural. And as soon as you get that mood forced on you, you feel a little bit jarred out of your zone. Do you have some favorite spaces around town that you didn't work on? Are there, are, are there a few that you really, really like? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I love Oporto. It's kind of under the radar in Midtown, but it is so beautiful. It's it's very well done. All the attention to detail is there. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, of course, Tiny Boxwoods uh, and Tiny's Number 5 are both incredibly lovely. 
very relaxing. The um, local foods chain has really done amazing things. Aaron Rambo is one of my good friends, and I'm a big fan of his work. And uh, gosh, many more, I'm sure. I'm just... All right. So um, obviously, I mean, one of the things I've, I've wanted to talk to you about for a while is Eunice, John Besh's restaurant that's opening in Greenway Plaza. I happened to go to Fluff Bake Bar last weekend to the pop-up held by Willa Jean, which is the bakery that he's affiliated with. And both the chef and the general manager from Eunice were there. They said, we're getting close. Construction's about getting ready to begin. Um, how did how did that opportunity sort of come about? Um, yeah, let, let's start with that. We like to keep an eye on what's going on in town. And when we saw that they were coming to Houston, we reached out to them actually and said, if you need a designer, we'd love to do your space. And they said, that sounds great. And that was that. It was pretty straightforward. Um, and I know you went to New Orleans. You you ate through, toured all of his restaurants. What was that experience like? What did you learn about what makes a John Besh restaurant a John Besh restaurant? Man, the rich, delicious, flavorful menus that all of his restaurants offer. That was, I've never, I don't think I've ever eaten so much in 48 hours in my life, but it was pretty amazing. Um, we went out there to learn about how he runs his concepts and really get a firsthand look and feel at all of them. So we did a crazy 48 hour New Orleans tour, which everyone back at the office was pretty envious of. And then we drove back home through kind of Cajun country, through the bayous and the small towns and ate boudin and all the good country food. And I think, you know, with Eunice being in town, Houstonians are going to get a chance to try all these things that you really have to road trip for because they're so authentic and so tucked away in these rural areas, uh, a lot of these elements. Well, and, and Eunice is the New Orleans suburb that he grew up in. Yeah, it's a small town. It's like, it varies between eight and 11,000 people. And it's it's about Three or four hours from from New Orleans. So oh, okay. I should call it a suburb. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little further out, but it's definitely um, it's definitely one of those small towns. So, with bringing Eunice to Houston, the whole small town to big city concept comes full circle. So the menu will grow up from what it would have been in Eunice and become more refined, and the design will grow up from what it would have been in Eunice and be more refined. But it's still going to be a party. That's the goal. <laughs> well, and it's in this like very modern. Uh, building at the corner of Buffalo Speedway in Richmond. It's got that great uh, western-facing glass wall, so it's it's easy to imagine, you know, nighttime sunsets are going to be a big, are going to be a time to be there, I would expect. Yeah. Um, are you kind of, were you excited? It's a, And it's a big space, right? This is not a small restaurant. No. Were you, is it intimidating when it's that big, or is it like blank slate, like, here we go? Oh, yeah, blank slate, here we go. It's, we've done some bigger restaurants and you know, you just, it just gives you more room to play a bigger canvas to play with. And the glass windows and the oaks all around it are really what have kept all of us excited about the location. It feels when you look out that massive glass window into this lawn of, you know, hundred year old oaks, it's just, you feel like you're 
in southern Louisiana <laughs> with the traffic speeding by behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, with people, uh, you know, and, and just think the brunch crowd's going to be so interesting as people leave Lakewood Church and, and contemplate, you know, a plate of oysters or uh, some gumbo. Yeah, or, you know, some Bloody Marys. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and it's interesting that neighborhood or that, that part of town has seen so many new restaurants. You know, Kieran's is relocated there. Tony's is right down the street. State of Grace is not that far away on Westheimer. Salt Air Seafood Kitchen. I mean, you know, upscale restaurants, you know, not maybe not explicitly fine dining. Obviously, Tony's is. But, you know, I don't, I don't expect, I, I mean, those are sort of the restaurants that I think about that Eunice will be uh, competing with is maybe the wrong, but like that diners will be choosing from. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, those are all very stylish places. You've got, an opportunity to really kind of make a statement and plant a flag and make Eunice every bit the destination that, that those other restaurants are. Absolutely. It's an exciting challenge to rise to. And like I said, we're trying to retain some of the country feel of Eunice, Louisiana, but also, you know, the big city polish. And I think above all, the atmosphere, it's going to be fun and it's going to be dynamic and they, these guys are so fun and funny and they really want the party. Um, I shouldn't say it like it's like, it's going to be a bunch of kids, but they do want it to have that energy of, of Louisiana. Well, yeah. I mean, Ella Brennan and that, that documentary uh, commanding the table that's you can see on Netflix about her career. said she didn't want to own a restaurant that a brass band couldn't walk through. So <laughs> I assume that, that like, you know, that's that kind of Louisiana spirit, that New Orleans spirit that I'm hoping Eunice embodies a little bit of, too. Yeah, I know they they never want it to feel quiet or calm. They definitely want it to feel lively. And uh, so we're, we're working to help create that environment. Is there anything about their request that maybe surprised you, like in a good way? Like, oh, I didn't think they'd go for this, but then they're like, they're totally into it. You know, it's been pretty seamless. After our tour, we kind of knew exactly what they wanted. You know, you want a brick floor? That makes sense. You want a, you know, a green marble bar? Sure, that makes sense. I mean, the oyster bar is an element that really stands on its own in this restaurant. And I know oyster bars are all the rage, so we had to take it up a notch. So everything is very... I don't know. It's it just it just all feels right. It all finally came together in a a way that I think is going to have some unique elements, but still give you a place that feels polished and and. And I I know uh, contractors and permitting are always a nightmare, but you, you think we'll be eating there before the end of the year? I sure hope so. <laughs> I'm going to ask the expediter while we're looking there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. Oh. I- I didn't even, I forgot. We have to do, we have to do the lightning round, Jen Braverman. We totally, I, I, I forgot. Are you? That wasn't the lightning round. (laughs) (laughs) Five questions. Are you ready for the lightning round? No. (laughs) Too bad. We're doing it anyway. Uh, What's the, well, I already asked you what the first restaurant you designed is. What was the first restaurant in Houston you designed? Oxart. Okay. What's the first concert you ever went to? Lord. Uh, oh, wait. I think it was Alabama at the rodeo when I first moved to Houston in eighth grade. Um, what's the best new restaurant you've tried this year? 
Where are you eating? I'm going to Roca tonight. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, we just talked about that with Shannon Felice. It's it's really good. Good. I'm excited. Do you have a favorite Houston sports figure, either current or former athlete? I mean, is there anyone other than J.J. Watt? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> and finally, this is a deeply personal question. What's your favorite place to get tacos? Oh, God. You had to go there. So much is riding on this question. <laughs> People will judge you for how you answer this. I know. Um, I cannot tell a lie. I love me some velvet taco. <laughs> Ooh, very contra- Dallas-based I yuppie know, tacos. I know. Very controversial. <laughs> I struggle, but they're so darn good. <laughs> all right, what do you get at velvet taco? Like, what's your go-to? Oh, I, I'm all over the place. I'm shrimp and grits, yes. Fish, fish and chips, yes. I mean, kind of can't go wrong. I know. I didn't say breakfast taco, just taco. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, you can find you, Jin Design Group, online. Uh, you're on Instagram. You're on Facebook, yes? Yeah, sure. On the web. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you, for, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will be back next week with Morgan Weber from Agricole Hospitality. I'm Eric Sandler. Thanks so much for listening.